0: And uh, uh, Amen. He loves us all so much. And uh, what are we? We're just in mid-April here, right? Amen. God's got a lot of time. He's going to get some stuff done for us this year. So I just pray that you be encouraged. Come on. We may not have any house mortgages left by the end of the year. Come on. <laughs> Put me in that category. I'm down for that. And uh, so, but especially about the relationship. That's that's really sweet. And what a wonderful segue. I love how God sets things up. So let's go back to Matthew chapter seven. Let's get into the word a little bit tonight. Is that all right? And uh, oftentimes throughout the years, I've always been sort of a uh, a series kind of a teacher uh, and minister and pastor, get on a subject and stay on it for a while. But many times over the years, I'll have a, a vein that I'm uh, ministering on on midweek and then a different one on Sundays. But there's just so much ground to cover in a, a broad and important subject like marriage and family that uh, you know I think I'm just going to seem good to me to continue right with it into, into our midweek service. So we're talking, uh, this will be our third uh, time to minister in this new series on the building of the family. The building of the family and we're in Matthew chapter 7 where we will read our Uh, golden text for this series. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you tonight and Father, I thank you for the many, many ways you work. If it pertains to our lives, then you care about it and your word has spoken to it. And if it relates to us, if it pertains to us, you want us to be winners. You want us to be more than conquerors and you want us to be happy. You want us to be joyful and fulfilled in every area. And God, you authored. You are the designer and the creator of all things family. And you're the institutor and the creator of marriage. And so, Lord, I thank you for miracles in the family. I thank you for family and marriage enrichment. That, Father, as we hear the word, as our hearts and minds are open, that we make changes, we make adjustments. Because, like Sister Denise said, it can get better and it should and it will. And so, Lord, we thank you for this moment tonight that it's a step forward that you further us in our knowledge, our wisdom, our understanding. Praise God about how to win, how to succeed, how to have the kind of marriage and family that you have authored and willed for us. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, praise God. Matthew seven twenty four. Jesus said, Therefore... Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, and does them, I will liken him or I will count him as unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not, doesn't do them, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In other words, this, this last phrase, great was the fall of it, means it was cataclysmic. It, one translation says the, the, the fall of that house was complete. It was complete. Uh, it was utter devastation. And it also implies in the Greek here uh, that it was originally it, written in that great was the effect of the fall. Great was the effect uh, upon those involved. And what stands out to me, and we've, we've spent some time already talking much about uh, how this applies and how foundational hearing and doing the Word of God is to the outcome of every area of our life, right? But when you see this, one of the things just so simple, but so stark and so sort of in our face, is that victory or defeat is a choice. Aren't you glad, though, that our lives are not subject to chance? The world lives on that. They they. They love that because it makes them irresponsible. It makes them not responsible for the outcome of their life. You know, when you say stuff like, well, you just never know what could happen. I hear that all the time. I was just talking to a precious believer uh, that I'm acquainted with. And uh, one of the things I've heard frequently come out of this precious man's mouth is, you just never know. You just never know. You just never know what's going to happen today. You just never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And in his mind, he's not thinking, you just never know It's going to be great. You just never know it's going to be No, it's negative. You just never know I might fall dead today. You just never know you might slip and fall. You know, you just, you just never know. And, you know, I've just learned I'm not looking down on anybody. This is just someone who's not been taught. Right? If these words are true, whether the house stands or whether the house falls comes down to a very simple choice. In every one of us, your victory in family, your peace in family, your fulfillment in family comes down to you all making a simple choice. Every if, if things are not ideal in your marriage today, and you're here in me, all you have to do is say, I decide. I decide from this moment forward to be a doer of the Word as it relates to my family, and my marriage, and every area of my life. And I tell you what, we'll say, well, I'll do it if they do it. Why? <laughs> No, come on, man. Uh, that, that's not. No, if you do it. If you do it, your marriage will improve because you're half of that marriage. Amen. Amen. You're half of that marriage. And the other thing we must remind ourselves is we are not going to stand before our Lord in judgment as a couple. It's not going to be Amber and I standing there. I'm going to be standing there at my judgment by myself and I'm not going to answer for her part. I'm not going to answer for how well she conducted herself as a wife and a mother. I'm going to answer for how faithful was I to perform my oath and my covenant day after day, month after month, till death death do us part. How faithful, how skillful was I, how devoted was I as a father. So if you want that moment with the Lord, you want to hear well done. Well done, husband. Well done as a father. Not perfect, but well done. Then you're going to have to do husband things according to the word as unto the Lord and not as unto your mate. But again, we've got some things we want to get over and talk about tonight. But listen, again, don't make it more complicated. If you choose. You have the power tonight to change your marriage, to change the dynamic of your family, to change the course over the long term of future generations by making a simple choice. What's the choice? I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to come. I'm going to send it to the ministry of my pastor. I'm going to pay attention. And from this moment forward, I'm a doer of the Word in every area of my life. I'm a doer of the Word. And as I'm a doer of the Word, whatever I build in my life, my marriage, my family, my business, my crew, whatever, I'm building it on the Word. Then I know when the rains come and the storms come and they beat on my house, my house is going to stand. Amen. My marriage is going to make it. Amen. Amen. I mean, I, again, I can't control what she does, but you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving the covenant. I'm not breaking the covenant. And what makes it sweet is I'm pretty sure she's got the same sort of mentality. Right? So where's the devil going to get an inroad there? She's committed, I'm committed. When the issues come up, since we're committed, we're in the same boat. We might as well work it out. Because the only other choice is to be miserable, and who wants that? Listen to this uh, passage real quick from the message translation. I read it today. I thought I I really liked it. It says in the message, These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, Homeowner improvements to your standard of living, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing was moved, nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in, the, in Bible studies, I like how this is worded. If you just use my word in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, oh, come on. You don't work them into your life. You're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. How is it that people attend Bible study, attend church Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday night, special meetings, and still their house falls down? Well, because you didn't do what you heard. You said amen at what you heard. You smiled at what you heard. You said good sermon, pastor, but you never worked the word into your life. And this is the assignment in everything that we teach and minister. Amen. It is to take what is taught and work it into your life. I went to church for years, and my life was a wreck. I got suicidal going to church twice a month. And you think twice a month? Well, that's you know, yeah. I, that was when my dad had custody, and that's when I went yeah. twice a month, two Sundays a month. But my life was a wreck. My life didn't change. I heard the words, I heard Pastor preach, but I didn't do any of it. I didn't do any of it. So I didn't get any of it. So we get what we do. Hello. So the remainder of our time, knowing this, you have a choice. I have a choice. Amen. Let's let's expound the word of God some more. Amen. And so that we can we've already decided right. If you're smart, I know you are. Praise God. I, I've made the choice. I've made the choice. Just show me, Pastor, how to do it. What, what are the words? Of the, what are the words I need to hear? Here's a quote from Brother Hagan I want to start with tonight. Uh, he's got a wonderful book called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. I don't think we have it out there right now. But if, uh, if you ever could get a hold of a copy, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And then he has a book I think we do have or we will have soon, his book on love. It's a, it's a good, thick book on love. It's called Love, The Way to Victory. Those two books, I tell you what, those are handbooks for a great marriage, great family. Uh, amen. Uh, so, so, so good. But anyway, this is what he said. The two institutions that the devil fights the most are the church and the family. Right? So you just understand, I like that from Brother Hagin because it's true. What's Satan going to fight the heart? What is he going to come against the most in your life? Your church? Your link to your church? Your time at church? Your relationship to the church? He doesn't want you to benefit from the church. Amen. And he's going to attack your family. Well, see, you know, you think about it. Why would he attack those two the most consistently and the most fiercely? Because they're the components to where you could be happy or miserable. You could be victorious or defeated. If you get church right and you get family life right, come on. I mean, you're you're going to be be blessed. You're going to be wonderfully effective. You're going to be fruitful. I mean, if you get church right and you get family right, man, you're going somewhere. You're going somewhere. Praise God. And so, but listen, you ought to counter what the devil knows with, well, bless God, I'm going to get church right. I'm going to get revelation on the importance of having a pastor and being in a local church and bringing my supply and being where I need to do and rightly relating, all of that. Amen. And I'm going to get family right. Forget the past. That's not what it's about. Move forward with where you are. Amen. And then Pastor Nancy Dufresne made this statement years ago, but I've never forgotten it. She said, if you're not practicing love in your home, you do not qualify for Bible prosperity. You can tithe, you can give offerings, you can make all the confessions you want. But if you aren't walking in love in your home, in your household, towards your children and your spouse, you don't qualify for Bible prosperity. A lot of people are head-scratching, man, I tithe, I tithe, I tithe. And I don't, I don't understand why we're not moving forward. Well, you fuss, you fuss, you fuss, you fight. There's strife all the time. There's disagreement. There's disunity. The devil's got an inroad. Yeah, amen. Amen. I want, to, I want Bible prosperity in every area of my life. Amen. And so you have to practice the love of God in your home. So we saw Sunday that part of uh, our foundation is walking in love. Walking in love. You know, brother, one of the things Brother Hagan said, now Brother Hagin said that after he was supernaturally healed of three incurable diseases as a 16-year-old boy, that for the rest of his life, though he had temporary attacks on his body, he walked in divine health till he went home to be with the Lord. You know, that's 60, almost 70 more years. Walked in divine health. I'd sit in there and listen to tapes back in the 90s and he'd say, it's been 35 years and now so many days since I had a headache. But listen to what he said. He said, now just so you know, I spend more time in my devotional life working on my love walk than I do my faith. Now he was a great man of faith. That was the mark on his life and ministry. That was the mandate. Jesus said to him, go teach my people faith. Faith is vitally important. But that's just such a nugget. Here's a man who walked in divine health. The devil couldn't even put a headache on him for three decades. And he said, I spend more of my private time working on my love walk than I even do my faith. See, if you'll walk in love, you won't need your faith as much for yourself. Because the Bible says that you can walk in such a way where the devil can't touch you. Love is the supreme, royal, governing law of the covenant you're in with God. The law of love. You, You don't have to pay... You know, what you have much of the Old Testament, especially the Pentateuch, right? The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is filled with detailed instruction. Detailed instruction about what's right, what's wrong, do this, don't do that, here's what you do. If you, I mean, all the way down to, here's exactly what you do if your neighbor's donkey gets out. I mean, God had to take up real estate in the Old Testament to tell people exactly what to do, exactly what was moral, exactly what was immoral, what was right and what was wrong. You get over to the New Testament and you don't have hardly any of that. Now, why? The fundamental difference between God's dealings with His people in the Old Testament and His sons and daughters in the New is that they did not have the life of God in them. They did not have the life and nature of God in them. They had a covenant with God, but they were not, like you and I are, born again. They were not the righteousness of God. They were not alive unto God. They were, spiritually speaking, children of the devil. They had a fallen, sin-dominated nature. So God had to spell everything out for them. This is a lie. This is why lying is bad. Here's what's going to happen if you do lie. Had to, you spent all this real estate in the Old Testament spelling out almost every scenario of morality and relationship that they would ever have. Now why? Because they had no internal compass in them. Right? But see, over here in the New Covenant, we are born from above. We are born of God. We are alive unto God. We have received at the new birth the very life and nature of of God into our spirits. His very eternal life, the, the stuff that makes God God has been imparted to our very spirits. One of the things that came with that is not just imputed righteousness and that came when we got born again. We were made right with God. But the Bible says that the love of God. Let's, go, let's look at this. I believe it's in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, I want to show this to you from the Word. That when you got born again, we know that we received righteousness into our spirits. And do you know that when you get to heaven, you're not going to be more righteous than you are right now in the eyes of God? That's how perfect your righteousness is in the mind of God. And you receive that uh, that level of righteousness the moment you got born again. Oh, yeah, it is awesome. Romans chapter 5. Do you know that the Bible also says that when we got born again that we received our very own measure of the God kind of faith? The very faith that God has, that God uses to create the world that we received at the new birth? A measure, the measure of the God kind of faith so we could believe His promises like He believes His own word? Well, this is going to tell us something else that we received uh, from God. And uh, praise God. Let me see. You guys might have to help me or I'll have to get my verse list out. Glory to God. Talking about the love of God's been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. I believe that was in Romans 5, but I could be wrong about it. Romans 5, verse 8. No. 5-5. Five, five. Thank you. There it is. 5-5. Five, five. Amen. So have kind of a new Bible here and it's not all marked up like my other one. So Romans 5 verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because, now notice this, what kind of love? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So see, when you got born again, you received righteousness God's righteousness, you received His faith, you received His love. The God kind of love. That word shed abroad means to be imparted or distributed. So how good is our Father? He commanded us to love. And then He gave us the love that we're supposed to love with. (laughs) Now, we need to learn about this love. We need to learn about this love. Because like I said a moment ago, loving one another is the great, the dominant. Really, it's the only. Let's go to John 13. I don't want you to just think I'm spouting stuff off. John 13, verse 34. Now, of course, Jesus, His ministry as He approached the cross was sort of a transitional ministry. Fulfilling the dictates of the old covenant. And knowing he's going to the cross, establishing and making ready a people to enter into the new covenant. Y'all with me? And, And so that's why he changed Passover. Because Passover to them was a celebration and a remembrance of what happened in Egypt. But he says from this moment forward, this cup is not that. This cup is the blood my blood symbol of my blood that purchased the new covenant Amen. see he changed it cuz he's the fulfillment of it so John 13 verse number 34 and I haven't I haven't left the subject of marriage and family either this is so vitally important to us what I want to establish here is this is a commandment it's not optional it's not optional so Jesus said in verse thirty four, "A new commandment, everyone say commandment. Amen. A new commandment I give unto you. Now, what is that commandment? That you love one another. That you love one another, as I now. Here's going to tell you how. To what degree? What kind? As I have loved you. So what is? And Jesus is God. He's saying, I command you to love each other with. A God kind of love. With the love I've bestowed on you. That I've demonstrated to you. The love that I have bestowed upon you. You are to pay that forward to each other. And it's not a suggestion. Come on. It is a commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. So you also love one another. Look at verse 35. By this. What is the this? Your love for one another. Your love for one another. Uh, All men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another. Notice he didn't say if you have my power. Having power is not what Jesus said is the great sign that you're a real believer. It's love. What, What a failure For a church to split in front of a community. For factions in the church to fight one another and and to be at odds with one another. Split a church open in front of a community. Gangs. Gangs are more united than many churches today. Jesus said, this is how the world's going to know. That you're really mine. And it's the way you treat each other. It's the way you love each other. And this is our Lord. This is our King. This is the one we answer to. This is the one who died for us. This is what He said. In another place, He said, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandment. And that commandment is you'll love each other. John said it this way. If you don't love the brethren... You don't, have, you don't have God's life in you. You don't have God's life in you. See, I, I wonder when people, uh, Christians, they say, oh, they love God, but they hate being around the church family. Well, I've read 1 John many times, and you're telling me something's wrong with your salvation experience. Something's not right with your Christianity. Because if you really were in love with Jesus, you would love God's people. You'd want to be around God's people. Right? But the number one place, come on, the most common place, the the greatest amount of investment in time is in our family, under our roof, with our folks. And we are commanded to love each other. And I just don't want you to, to think that you cannot obey this commandment and things still go good for you. I mean, where did we get this idea that we could just blatantly do what we want, be carnal, be selfish... Violate the love commandment. And expect God who is love. Amen. To answer our prayers. Meet all of our needs. Give us miracles. on us, protect us everywhere we go. Many people this is what they don't realize. They've come to prayer line, to prayer line, to prayer line, to prayer line. They've had some of the great healing ministries pray for them and they're still sick. People like that. They need to to check themselves out. Amen. It's either a faith issue, but oftentimes it's a violation of love issue that's going on. We need to be sober about these things. Amen. You know, go back, uh, let's see. Let's go back to Exodus real quick. Y'all doing okay? Let's go to Exodus uh, 15. Exodus 15. Now let's, this is an example of covenant language between God and His people. And what the, some of the benefits that He makes available to them, but they're all conditional benefits. Amen? And so in verse 25 of Exodus 15, He cried unto the Lord, Moses did, and the Lord showed him a tree, in which he had cast into the waters. The waters were made sweet, and there was made for him a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them. And said, Now notice if, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put, in the Hebrew it should be permit, I will permit none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, or allowed to come upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that. Healeth thee. So notice what he said in this covenant in the Old Testament. He said, If you'll listen to me, if you'll do what's right in my sight and obey my commandments, I won't allow any of the diseases that are in the world to come upon you, for I'm the Lord that heals you. Now, if you, tra- God's the same God, we just have different terms of the covenant. Because now we are born again, we have the life of God, he doesn't, we don't need a book to spell out every little thing about what's right, what's wrong, and look for a loophole. No, we have the love of God on the inside of us. And the love of God is a law working in our hearts. The Bible says in Romans that he that uh, walks in love has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled the law. In the new covenant, our commandment, the thing that we must keep, is the commandment to love. Notice when they kept the commandments God gave them under the terms of the old covenant, they didn't have to be sick. They could walk in healing. Is this not right? Go over with me to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. In verse number 25 says, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread, your food, and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. You know, if God took sickness away from the midst of you, guess what? You wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't be sick. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land. The number of your days I will fulfill. In other words, God said, I will cause you to fulfill all your days on planet earth. Without any sickness, but you have to serve the Lord your God. You have to do that which is right. And inside, in the new covenant, we still have commandments. Where did we get it in our head that we don't? And the commandment is, we must walk in love. See, this is why Pastor Nancy could say something very scripturally, very accurately, like if you're not walking in love in your home, you don't qualify for Bible prosperity. Oh glory. Exodus 25:25. 25, 25. Exodus 25: 25, 25. Amen. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, son. Exodus 23. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25. My apologies, everyone. I'm sorry that you guys just found out that Pastor's not perfect. I know you're just finding that out just now, and you're I'll pray for you later, but. Amen. I'm sorry about that. Everybody get the reference. Exodus 23, 25. I'll read it again, because you were searching probably. And you shall what? You shall serve the Lord your God. What happens if you don't serve? You might as well forget what the rest of the verse. And you shall serve the Lord your God. See, now I'm not even going to go there. You shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your food and your water, your bread and your water. And God says, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land. That's dealing with miscarriages and, and problems in the womb. In thy land, the number of your days I will fulfill. But listen, under this old covenant, it was conditional. But even under the old covenant, sinner people, they had a covenant with God, but they were not born again. They had it within their choice to live the kind of life where sickness could not touch them. Now, people want to say, well, pastor, that's, that's Israel. That's, the, that's, that was for Is- that's not for us. Go over to Hebrews. Go over. To, I'm glad you asked that question. I said, Pastor, that's God's covenant with the Hebrews. We don't, I'm not a Jew. I, I'm, not, I'm not in that covenant. No, you're in a better one. I said you're in a better one. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. I think I got this reference correct. It says, But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a what? Man, you ought to mark that. You ought to circle that. He's the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Everyone say this. Better covenant. Better promises. So right in this covenant we're in. Hebrews is New Testament. Is that right? Come on. We're in a, it's a, we're in a better covenant. You see, if I gave you the mic tonight and asked you to recite all the Ten Commandments and you couldn't do it, it's okay. You're not required to have them memorized. And you can fulfill all of Leviticus and all of Deuteronomy and all of Exodus and not know any of it. I said, and not know any of it. There's good stuff in there. I'm not saying don't read it. But all you have to do to fulfill all the law is walk in love. You see, if I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind and strength, I'm not going to let anything become an idol. And if I am walking in love towards my wife, I'm not going to commit adultery. And if I walk in love towards Brother John, I'm not going to steal from him. I'm not going to bear false witness against Sister Debbie. I'm not going to covet. Is this right? I'm not going to dishonor my parents. And I don't need to know any of those commandments. But I have God's love in me. And if I just make a decision and a commitment every day, I'm going to walk in the love of God toward everyone. Then you are fulfilling all the law. and You are in position to receive all the benefits. God has made it. This is why it's a better covenant. We have everything they had back there, but we don't have to kill bulls and goats. You know, when we miss it, all we have to do is remind the Lord about the blood of Jesus that was already shed, confess our fault, confess our mistake, get back into fellowship, ask our wife to forgive us, ask our fellow man to forgive us if we've missed it. We all miss it. And then we're back over in love. That's what I say. Every step outside of the love of God is sin. So when you realize you've stepped out of the love of God, amen, and you took the last biscuit, and you didn't even offer your wife if, you wanted, if she wanted a biscuit. You took two biscuits, right? Whatever. Come on, whatever it is. And you are selfish. Amen. Then you just repent. You just ask God to forgive you. And you ask her to forgive you. And then you're back in love, see? And this is how you live a long life. This is how you live a life with the door shut to the enemy. You see, praise God, uh, if you're walking in love towards me as your pastor, I ought to be able to not say it exactly right all the time. It's not like I'm trying. You want to get up here and speak as much as I do? It's not like I'm trying to not say something wrong. I don't mind being bold. Y'all know that. But I'm not out to hurt, hurt anybody. I ought to be able to say something wrong by accident and you not get offended with me. See, if you're walking in love towards me, you won't get offended with me. Because you want mercy. And so you are ready to extend me mercy. While we're here and I see how time's getting, let's... Let's go to Matthew 5. I know we're navigating our Bible a little bit tonight, but is that all right? Matthew chapter 5. Love, love is the commandment, love is the foundation. If we want a sweet marriage, We want our marriage to improve. All we have to do is get if we all what oh if we could get a greater revelation of what the love of God is, what it looks like, what it does, what it doesn't do, and we begin to cultivate that love. Pay attention to that love. Develop that fruit of the Spirit in our life, and let it spill out on our mate. Let it spill out in our home. Let it spill out when we come to church. Instead of coming to, through the church, and, and you know, and somebody asks you to volunteer, and you really don't want to do that, and you're kind of rough and guru. Why be like that? Come on. You know what I mean? But if we just walked in love toward each other and we, we made allowances for one another. We should make allowances, right? I should give you a mercy allowance. And put a lot of credit on that thing. Put a lot of, don't, no, don't be skimpy with it, but put a lot of, put a lot of credit on that thing. Amen. My, my wife, she's just so great. I tell you what, I married, I married right. And she just affords me a lot of mercy. Kind of. You know, I don't want to go over the top with that. Wigglesworth said exaggeration is not, not good. So, no. No, but I tell you what, she's never thrown me to the curb. She's never been unwilling to forgive. She, she lives with my faults and my failures. She makes allowances for my, those two areas where I'm imperfect, you know. <laughs> And uh, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7. No, I'm sorry. 5, 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. Okay. What did Jesus say? His Sermon on the Mount. Blessed. Stop. What does that word mean? Empowered to prosper by God in every area. Don't forget that. It's not just a poetic word. Blessed are the... Merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do you want mercy? You show up in heaven, do you want mercy from God? You better show it. The Bible says there's a scripture in the book of of James that says he will be judged, meaning by God, without mercy, who has shown, shown no mercy. in other words if, if people are around you and they can't be anything less than perfect around you and you just you're going to you're going to you're going to throw down the gauntlet on every you're going to call out every little thing you're going to call out when you get to heaven that's the standard that God's going to use to judge your life he said in James, I'm going to judge without mercy the person that showed no mercy. I've made a commitment in my life. I'm going to be merciful because I am leaning every day on the mercy of God in my life. So I'm going to give a lot of mercy. <laughs> Brother Conway is just so sweet to me. And Chelsea just so sweet to me. And oftentimes... well. You know, that w- that we'll, we've scheduled several breakfasts. We like to get together in a weekday and, and have breakfast. We just did that. And I told him, I said, uh, Pastor Richard was there, Reverend Connell was there. I said, I bet you guys are half surprised I'm actually here. You know, because anything that gets out of my routine, and if I fail to tell Brett about that appointment, I'm probably going to miss it. And I don't know how many... I'll get this text. I'm having coffee. It's about 8.45 in the morning. Pastor, are you coming. Right? I forgot Reverend Siegel to take him to his flight. Yes, I did. That's Brett's fault. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. wasn't. It wasn't. But I did that everyone I did. Thankfully, his God, the favor of God, I'm telling you, his flight was delayed. God was looking out for me. But I don't know how many times I've done that to you. Three. I've done it to Pastor Richard two or three times. he would be sitting there by himself having coffee. Cracker bear waiting for me. Pastor, are you coming? Just, yeah, I just said, get some French toast, talk to the waitress, whatever, be a blessing. I'm not coming. I forgot. But you, you know, listen, I hate that. I don't like that. That's unfaithful. That's disorganized. And that's disrespectful to him. Because I said I'd be there. And that's not what I preach and teach. But never once has, and I have screamed at him as a spiritual son over the years about being late. He could tell you. Screamed at him. But as a spiritual son, he's never bucked up at me and said, hey, Pastor, you're going to be a doer, you know, you're going to do what you preach. You know, he's never, he's just never, he's never done that. I guess his, thankfully his honor for, you know, going up the chain won't. Well, Won't let him do that. But see, he's afforded me mercy in those situations. You need to come on with your to the one that said you forever. We should afford them mercy. Amen. Amen? Amen. Love is merciful. Love is merciful. Amen. Just kind of close because time's about gone. You know, uh, this, this love, what does it look like? Well, we just talked about an attribute of love is, love is merciful. What's that mean? So here's, here's some things to, uh, to practice, you know. Um, how do you want to be treated when you miss it? How do you want people to respond when you blow it? You better sow it. You better sow it for when you blow it. That's the golden rule, isn't that right? Treat others the way you yourself want to be treated. Here's here's what the love of God does the love of God is quick to forgive. Quick to forgive. If you want to live a long life, you don't want to have disease and problems with your faith, and you want to walk in all the blessings of the covenant, you're going to have to train yourself to be quick to forgive. You don't get to walk around for half a day, even pouting over nothing. She didn't iron your shirt right. You know what? I don't have a wife that irons shirts, so <laughs> uh, count yourself blessed, even if she gives it a shot. Because I iron all my clothes. Praise God. <laughs> this lady over here. Yeah, I'm going to talk about your sister Stacy. <laughs> When Brother Philip was having all these ungodly, you've worked some ungodly hours in your life. And you up, and I would hear stories about how you got up out of bed, got his clothes prepared, packed his lunch, kissed him on the cheek, sent him out, then prayed in the Holy Ghost, got in the Word. I mean, it's all before 5 a.m. That's just phenomenal. You never asked her, you know, put your foot down. No. And I don't expect that. We're all different. We're all different. My wife goes, hey, see <laughs> you <know? laughs> You're up, but she's like, I'm still not ironing your shirt, even if I am awake. Take it to the cleaners. That's, you know, that's kind of her thing. Everybody's different. But, I mean, that's just kind of phenomenal love right there, you know. And, uh, but however it comes out, but listen, we're all going to miss it when we're living together, right? A lot of times, you know, I've, I've given out. When I get to Thursday night, mentoring's over, and I got one day off on Friday, you know, and, and then, you know, I can be grumpy because you're tired, you've given out, you're kind of empty by the end of the week, and I got one day, you know, so, but that's not fair, right, to be spiritual and give out, give out, give out, and then be grumpy at home, Right? And uh, so I work on that. But when I miss it, I'm thankful that, you know, my kids have been that way, been quick to forgive me. You know, and I don't hold grudges against my kids when they miss it. I've been down in the floor with the more serious situations that are just private and personal. And, uh, you know, on on my knees with my children and where they broke a commandment of the word and I show them from the word. And we cried together, and we prayed together. And I rehearsed them in a prayer. Or I'd let them. I want to hear you repent to God, and 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 then after that, I, we're crying. I listen. I'm going to hug you. I, I'm going to hug you and when we stand up. That's it. It's over. And we're going to get up, and go on with our good self. Right? And uh, amen. And it's just it makes life sweet. So love is quick, and it just refuses the, Remember in. First uh, Corinthians 13, talking about the love of God, it says love, the God's love takes no account of the evil done to it. You know what that means? You don't get to keep a ledger. You don't get to keep a mental file of all of the mistakes of your spouse that you're ready to bring up as ammunition in the next disagreement because love doesn't have a ledger. Love puts it into the sea of forgetfulness where God yeah. puts it, yeah. right? And we're certainly not going to bring their mama into the argument or anything else, Come right? Come on. People just do stuff out of bounds. See, this is what I deal with in counseling a lot. People don't know how to argue. They don't know how to have a disagreement. And they pull into people's past. Well, let me just tell you about the time. Do you remember just last week? <laughs> yeah, I can hear it. I've been pastors, been in your house, you know, praise God by the spirit. I know how people roll and we want to reach back into the sea of forgetfulness, dig out everyone's mistakes and throw it really as a deflective to try to not take responsibility for the fact that you missed it. You know what? Love is not defensive. Here's another thing about love. Love is quick to admit when it's wrong. Takes practice. I tell you what, I'm human and I'm a man. And when my wife wants to bring something up, I am ready to defend my territory. (laughs) You know what that thing is about the flesh, right? Walls, the wall's going up. Here's all my reasons. Oh, well, let me tell you. Let me just tell you. Why can't we just say, you're right. And what we want to do is we, we, we don't want to just talk about this one thing because if we just talk about this one thing, I'm guilty. So we gotta bring in everything else we could think of. Well, while we're at it, I've been waiting to talk to you about five things. You see, we've left the ideal, we've left God's best, we've left little conflict resolution, you deal with one subject at a time. So if your spouse comes to you one subject at a time, everybody. So if I come to my wife and say, hey, listen, I'd like to talk to you about something you said I didn't like, made me feel bad. And then she immediately wants to say, well, you know, you do that to me all the time. That's not what we're talking about. You can't say, you do that to me all the time. Not right now. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what you did. What you said. You got to keep this thing one subject at a time. You talk about me? I need to hear that. No, that's a really good thing. When you're dealing with something, a flaw or something that happened, you deal with that one thing and nothing else gets to enter in. We're dealing with, you left me with a tank empty. That's, And you made me late to an appointment because I had to go pump your tank full of gas. The spouse doesn't get to go, you did that to me last week. You don't get to say that. Yet, you deal with this subject. And so she should say, well, tell me, I, I certainly didn't mean to. Tell me what you're talking about. Well, okay, well, here's what you said. Well, I didn't mean it like that, we, Well, how did you mean it? Well, this is what I meant. Okay, well, I get that. Are we good? Okay. And then she gets the chance at that point to say, well, since you, can we deal with, would it be okay if, if I bring up something that bothered me? And that's when you say, "No, I don't have time right now." <laughs> right? That's what you say. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> no. no, right? No, if we're really—and these are just communication techniques. You can read about them in books, but they really do work. You ought to establish rules and parameters about how we're going to disagree. She gets to disagree, and love will allow. She gets to say anything she needs to say to me. But what she doesn't like about whatever, and what love will do is love will really hear it, not sit there and internally formulate my response, but listen to what she's saying. And accept it and not bring her mother or grandpa or what, you know, any outside thing in to try to deflect. No, we'll deal with this one issue. Once that issue is dealt with, the door ought to be opened for the other side or for the other party to bring up whatever. Right? Screaming, cursing, throwing things. It's all out of bounds. It's all against the rules. We don't do that. Punching holes in the wall. Look, there's forgiveness and there's mercy, but these things should not happen. They should not happen. Now, Amber and I, we will have what we call aggressive fellowship. (laughs) I can't even remember the last time we had aggressive fellowship. I I really don't. Now, I was raised with a clan, with a clan, a lot of people, a lot of noise, and my mom, the more passionate she was, that passion expressed itself in ever-increasing volume. Christopher Alec, <laughs> <Ellington. laughs> You know what I mean? And she's not afraid. And so I dealt with that. I, I was in that environment. My mom didn't mean anything by it, but she was expressing her intense passion about whatever she's talking about in volume. My wife grew up, just her and her mom, very docile, very proper and no screaming. And so when I, I, it's just natural for me when I'm ramping that, you could tell she wants to, she doesn't do, she can't handle that. It doesn't make her weak or anything. It's just, just, she doesn't process that the way I do. I can, I can be in that, engaged in that, and I know we're just passionate about, <laughs> about whatever. But I've just had to learn. That's how she's not going to receive from me that way. So I'm going to have to simmer down. I'm going to have to simmer down. I'm going to have to, right? And I'm trying to land the airplane here. Listen, here's the thing. Everyone should have permission to temporarily back off. Well, here's one thing, wives, they, they miss it. They have a husband who can get boiling hot mad. But they refuse to give the husband any space to cool off. And then when his pressure cooker explodes, they blame him. If you keep him in the environment, when you see the thing escalating, I'm not saying everything that happens after that's your fault. I'm just saying I should have permission if I need to dial it back to go take a walk in the backyard. And you not take it as a rejection. That's what goes, you walked off, you left me. And I know ladies, they can hate that. Men, every person, a hothead lady, whatever, they need to have permission. Because what I, I draw on a piece of paper, sometimes there's a point of no return. Where that person, they're angry, but they're in control. They're angry, but they're in control. They're angry, but they're in control. But when they cross this point, they are out of control. I'm not saying they're not responsible. I'm just saying that what happens in that moment, their spirit's not, they are in the—they are out of control. And when I see my dial, I can't remember the last time this even was an issue with me, but as you see that dial going up, I, I know where my point is, and I need to be able to say, I'm going to go for a drive. Yeah, you shouldn't just walk off, just say, listen, sweetie, I promise you, I know this needs to be dealt with. I need, to, I need to dial it back. I'm going to go for a drive. Listen, whether it's tonight or sometime, I commit to you. This is what we have to do if you want that permission. You don't just get to go on about your week and act like it didn't happen. You have to come back to the table yeah. and sit down and resolve the issue. Yeah. You don't just get to storm off and ignore it. Yeah. How do we get off into this? But it's, We're helping Bible says, be angry and sin not. So God is acknowledging that there's a potential to be angry, to be angry, to be angry. You're fine, you're fine, but then you sin. And every person needs to be able to have the right and permission in the relationship to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back off just a second here. Go pray in the Holy Ghost. Go for a drive. Go skip a rock on a pond. Amen. Again, you get the deal. You got to come back. Amen. I tell you, that. people, we, we don't pay attention to these things enough. We, we think we can have a knockdown, drag out fight and then go in the bedroom and intercede and get angels to move on our behalf and have miracles. That's God's not schizophrenic like that. That's He doesn't go like that. You understand? And He's with you all the time. and He expects you to walk in love. And when we step out of love, it's our, it's our job to repent. Yeah. Bless you, sir. To repent. The last thing I'll say, and I'm going to let you go. There are four primary areas or avenues that love ought to appear in your life. I'll give them to you and then we'll go. Number one is attitude. Right? It's not inward love. Love is going to spill out, and it's going to show up in your attitude. That's your overall countenance, your overall demeanor. How about this one? Your body language. Some people have terrible body language. I look across the room at them, and it's like, oh my God, they're they're going to stone me after church. They're going to stone (laughs) me. I don't know what I have done. And some people, their personality is a little bit different. You better work on yourself. Right? We should be, our body language should be approachable. Shouldn't be any sense of meanness or intimidation or anger on our, if we got the love of God overflowing in our heart. So the love of God should show up in our attitude. The love of God, number two, should show up in our body language. And then, of course, the love of God should be manifested in our words. Not just the words we choose, but again, the tone of our words. The tone of our words. I love being around Christian, godly couples who are developed in the love of God. Being around the Hattaboss is such a hoot. It's just she likes to wear ripped jeans, you know, Pastor Angie. And he's all grew up in the projects. He's like, I can't understand why you have money and want to rip. and so when I was with you, she said, here's my homeless wife, you know, I gotta pick her up off the street. But they're they just so sweet, and, and, but the, and they have terms. I love terms of endearment. Yeah. Do you have a term of endearment? Yeah. Ralph, Burl, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right? But with the Hattabals, they call each other love. Love, love. And I, I don't know, don't make it artificial. But it's just wonderful. Some of my, my pastor friends, you can tell, it's not just skill behind the pulpit. They have a real walk with God. They're developed in their love walk and it shows in their family. I want that to be my testimony. I want that to be, I want people to be away from it. Oh man, I love being around the Cody's. I love hearing him call her babe. Now don't you call Pastor Amber that. But I, it's me. I don't know where I got that. I've been calling her that for years. Amen. Anyway, praise God. But the words, we we ought to really choose our words. And they ought to have salt and pepper and stevia and sugar on them, right? And the tone ought to be love. And then last of all is our actions. The love of God ought to appear in our attitude, our body language, our words, and our actions. And it's the dominant trait The fruit of the Spirit. What's the first? The fruit of the Spirit is love. I get born again, and the first fruit that ought to appear is love. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. You could stand to your feet tonight. Praise God. Again, I I know I've been a little long-winded, last two services. But there's just so much ground to cover. Hallelujah.